be good and pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our strength and redeemer. Amen. So we're going to do one of those uh, interactive activities to start with. So if, if everyone would, take out your hymnal. The physical copy of your hymnal. If there, if there isn't one in front of you, there should be one somewhere around you. If you need one, I'll, I'll bring one to you. I personally will deliver a hymnal. And I want you to turn to page uh, number Roman numeral 7. Okay, it's not page 7, but Roman numeral 7 or VII. It's like the second page that happens in your hymnal. There's like the copyright page, and then there's the preface, and then there is the page that says directions for singing. Right? <laughs> Can we just take a moment to appreciate that the beginning of our hymnal are directions for singing. How many of you knew this was in here? I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty strange thing, but also really exciting. So this is, uh, this is from the uh, founder of the Wesleyan movement, uh, the Methodist movement, John Wesley. And uh, he was writing in 1761-ish. And, and these are the words that he, that he gives to the church for, for, for worship, for, for, encount, for engaging with the hymns that are written here. And, you know, let's just take these in for a moment. First and foremost, learn these tunes before you learn any others. Afterwards, learn as many as you please. And so, moment, moment of, of uh, complete honesty, how many of you have the hymnal memorized? Oh, oh. John Butler, probably. <laughs> uh, not me. I have way, way more Taylor Swift songs memorized than I do hymnal songs. And, you know, that's, that's probably to my own detriment, but that's where I am. <laughs> so uh, I've broken rule number one. Number two, sing them exactly as they are printed here, without altering or mending them at all. And if you have learned to sing them otherwise, unlearn as soon as you can. So uh, most churches are guilty of breaking this one because how many different renditions of Amazing Grace have you heard? I mean, we just start there. Number three, and this is where it starts to get into the ones that I really appreciate. Not that the other ones aren't fun to look at. Number three, sing all. See that you join with the congregation as frequently as you can. Let not a single degree of weakness or weariness hinder you. If it is a cross to you, take it up and you will find it a blessing. In other words, yeah, in other words, everybody join together in singing. Let not a single voice go unnoticed in the congregation. Let everyone join together in these songs. And if it's a burden to you, if for whatever reason you feel like you can't sing or you don't want to sing or whatever, as Wesley puts it, if it's a cross to you, take it up, bear it. It will be a blessing. You will find it a blessing. Everybody joins together. Number four, this one's fantastic. Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep. But lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, nor more ashamed of its being heard than when you sung the songs of Satan. So... <laughs> So in other words, sing out lustily. That's a fantastic word to put there. With all that you are, sing out. 
Do not be afraid, do not be ashamed, any more than when you sung the songs of Satan. I don't know how many people here have sung songs to Satan. Um, <laughs> I personally haven't gotten uh, that far into the, into, uh, the non-church world, um, but maybe just any other songs that you enjoy. I, I imagine that this particular line was, uh, was a really w- well-used line whenever rock and roll was coming out. You know, the, the songs of Satan as, as, they, as it was dubbed so frequently. Um, then we have sing modestly, in other words, which is almost a contradiction to the previous two, but don't sing obnoxiously is really what it's saying. Uh, don't try to be overheard. And uh, number six, uh, any person who has studied music can appreciate this one. Sing in time. Don't rush. Keep with the rhythm. The leaders of the, of the music, keep with them. Don't try to start your own song or your own pace with it. But number seven, and this is the one I appreciate most. Above all, sing spiritually. Have an eye to God in every word that you sing. Aim at pleasing him more than yourself or any other creature. In order to do this, attend strictly to the sense of what you are singing. And see that your heart is not carried away with the sound but offered to God continually. So shall your singing be such as the Lord will approve here and reward you when, you, when, when he cometh in the clouds of heaven. Sing spiritually, sing to God. We're continuing in our series on breaking down four walls, a series about becoming the church more than just a building and taking down the walls and barriers that prevent us from being the church to the world that God has called us to be. And today, I want to talk about something that, uh, that is a, it's a little touchy of a topic, not as touchy as money, but it's still a little touchy. It's on worship. And today, I want to talk about enthusiastic, passionate worship. And what I mean is, is that the church was never intended to be a stoic community of God's love. In other words, the church was never meant to be a people who just stand there going through the motions because that's what we have been taught all our lives to do. And this is, this is, a, this is an issue that, that comes up in many churches is that worship just becomes some, somewhat of a, a ritual and not like the traditional kinds of rituals, but something that you just do because it's what you're supposed to do. Because it's expected of churches that, you know, typically when you think of church, one of the first things that comes to mind is the worship service. The, the moment in which the full body of Christ gathers together and, and uh, has liturgy present, uh, co- sort of call and response every now and then, music, hymns, or singing of some sort. And then, you know, some weird person stands up there and talks for way too long. And then there's some more uh, singing and, and, uh, and worship, and then we all go home. And, you know, this is the ritual that, that people have come to accept in the church. But it was never meant to be a ritual that's just for going through the motions. It's not like we come to church because we have to. And if you feel that way, I, I apologize. Um, and maybe that's more for children who feel that way. But you don't have to come. And so, you know, that's probably to my detriment to say that to you all because I, I, I'm really grateful whenever you all are here. But the church was not meant to be a community in which people just go through the motions. Just take, just you know, pick up their hymnal and you know, somebody says, turn to this page, and we turn to this page, and oh, that one actually looks kind of familiar, so maybe I can sing along, or that, that one doesn't look familiar, so I'm just going to stand here. 
holding this and we're gonna try to follow along because this is, I guess this is how music is written and you know, that looks pretty weird. And we go through these motions and then at the end of it all, what does it mean for us? What's the purpose of it? Why are we singing at all? Why do we join together? And so I'm here to tell you this morning that we as the church were not meant to be a stoic community of God's love. Rather, we were called to be a people of indescribable and glorious joy, a people of rejoicing because of the gift that we have received in Christ. This is what 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9 is telling us, is that he's using these words over and over again that we have this gift in Christ. Now, does it mean enough to us that we can respond with all that we are? And he even says in, in verse 8, although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We are called to be a community, a people of indescribable and glorious joy because of the gift that we have in the love of God. And what better day than All Saints Sunday to talk about this. All Saints Sunday, the day in the liturgical calendar we are, we are uh, celebrating today is a day in which we remember all of those who have gone before us, who have finished their journey and now surround the throne of God. And, and oftentimes this can be a very somber service. But I want us to look for a moment at the worship of the saints. And what I mean is I want us to turn, to, uh, turn our attention to the book of Revelation, just one Revelation. Uh, Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 14, John describes this vision from heaven, uh, this, this vision of what the throne room of God looks like. And this is what he sees. They sing a new song, they being all of the creatures around the throne. They sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slaughtered and by your blood you ransomed for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked to the throne and heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, singing with full voice, worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and however many other good adjectives we can throw out there. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing. To the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The scene from the throne room of God. Well, the saints who have finished their journey here on earth worship. It is a worship unlike any other worship that you are to find here on earth. But it is a worship which we are called to ascend to. This kind of worship, this kind of reckless worship, this kind of worship because all of those gathered around the throne recognize in the presence of God that this love that God has for each and every creature 
is beyond compare, and the only response that they can come up with is worthy, worthy, worthy. And they shout out, and they sing a new song, and they keep worshiping to the point where they fall down and worship. With everything that they are, they give it all in worship to God. This is the call of the church in its worship. Now, some of you may have noticed uh, in my past couple of months here that I'm not real big on formalities. Um, it's, it's just not my personality. I was brought up in a fairly formal family. Um, my my uh, father uh, was, a, uh, was a Marine for a number of years, and so discipline was, was present. Uh, and so formalities, you know, we understood them. But I'm not a very formal person. You, you can tell I, I walk away from the pulpit because it kind of freaks me out to be back there a little too long. And, um, and you know, it's, it's, it's just not my personality for, for a number of reasons. The first is I've spent a lot of time around death. Um, whenever I worked in a trauma hospital, I saw a lot of a lot of loss of life. And I came to realize that life is just simply too short to be formal all the time. Sure, there are nice places for it and it can work, but all the time it doesn't work for me because I, I, I feel that life is too short for it and that life is better lived spontaneously and with enthusiasm rather than with formality and dignity. And, and the other reason is that I don't believe that the church was called to be a formal, dignified people. And that's kind of contrary to the way that, uh, that church is often conducted today, but I personally don't believe that the church was ever called to be a formal, dignified people. And what I mean by that is worship, in its essence, is an undignified action. Quite literally, the definition of the word worship is to show reverence and honor and respect for something other than self. In other words, in order to properly worship, we have to release our pride, let go of a sense of dignity in order to actually show due honor and respect to the one whom we worship. And so worship in itself is, is an undignified act. And we see that even more so in the scene surrounding the throne in Revelation. People from all nations, tribes, tongues, languages, etc., and, and there are also like these really strange winged creatures that weren't described in our passage but are described previously that look unlike anything we've ever seen. And there are also these, uh, these angels and these people called elders. And this whole plethora of people are surrounding the throne, crying out with all that they are, falling on their faces, worshiping because they, they have no other option. That's all, the only response that they feel is appropriate to approach God. And so I wonder, at what point did the church decide that it is better to restrain ourselves in the presence of God than to show God all glory and honor and respect with everything that we are? The church was not meant to be a stoic community of God's love, but rather a reckless, undignified, relentless community of worship. And so breaking down the four walls that confine us to being a building or the barriers that prevent us from being the church that, the, that God has sent the, us into the world to be involves enthusiastic, passionate worship that connects us to the divine. It involves us giving of our all, being entirely present in the worshipful moment, singing lustily with all of our strength, 
participating fully in the worship moment, to be present and to give of ourselves because God is worthy, because God's love for us draws us into that kind of atmosphere. We are called to be a people of indescribable, glorious joy, a people rejoicing because of the gift we have received in Christ, the gift of salvation, the gift of endless love for us from the heart of God. And so my question for us today, and I really want us to think about this, does our love for God inspire us to worship in a passionate, enthusiastic, and even undignified way? Or even take that the reverse. Are we inspired enough by God's love for us to worship in a passionate, enthusiastic, and even undignified way? Do we feel that? If the answer is yes, then let us learn to be a people who show it. Whatever that may look like. Now, now, please bear in mind, I'm not asking you that any time we sing a hymn that people need to vacate the pews and start running up and down the aisles and like doing whatever kind of dances. I mean, if that's how you feel expresses your worship, go right ahead. I'm not saying you have to do that. But what I'm saying is, let us be a people who feel what our worship is about. A people who connect with the very essence of our worship. That's what rule number seven in the rules for, in the uh, directions for singing is telling us. Above all, sing spiritually, connecting with the divine, recognizing for what purpose we sing at all and understanding what the lyrics that we are, uh, that we are lifting up mean for us. We are called to be a people of indescribable and glorious joy. And so let us be that people in our worship. Let us emulate the saints who have gone before us and now are joining around the throne of God in all worship, giving of all of themselves to behold God. Let us be a people who break down four walls in the way that we worship the God who has called us out of darkness into his glorious light. Let us be a people of enthusiastic, passionate worship. Every moment we are reminded of God's love. And let us pray this morning.